23 students signed up, which is awesome. So um, there's a couple of slots left. I've gotten, I've ordered extra shirts just in case. So if you know of a friend who wanted to sign up and you feel like you missed the deadline, sign them up anyway. Um, the sheet is still back there. And, uh, but for any parents who have a child going, there are um, new uh, parent consent forms for 2023 on the welcome table. So grab one of those and fill that out for me if you would, and you can turn that into me. Um, another big thing coming up is our choir Easter performance. Uh, that is on um, Sunday, March 26 at 6 o'clock. Um, they're doing Experiencing God, and so I hope that you'll come back and, and listen to that. They've been working very hard to get ready for that, um, that performance, so mark your calendars for March 26th. And then March the 29th at 6.15, we're going to have our um, our egg hunt for our kids. That's a family event. There's going to be an egg hunt. There's going to be a gospel presentation. There's going to be food and ice cream. And so all of those things included um, free of charge. So you come and be a part of um, our egg hunt that's going to be taking place on March the 29th. Um, one more announcement is we're having, a, we're starting a class for a three-week class for anyone interested in uh, membership. So if you're interested in membership at Glenlock Baptist Church, um, there's going to be a class during Sunday school hour um, the next three Sunday mornings. Is that correct? And uh, that is for anyone who's interested in being a member at Glenlock Baptist Church and you have not joined yet. That gives you a great chance to kind of learn um, on a deeper level our beliefs and all those kind of things. Yeah, anybody who recently joined and can be a part of that class as well. So... We're not going to turn you away. Um, so that is taking place in the library. They can enter at the library. In the library door behind the student building. So if you have any questions about that, see Pastor Neil, and he will connect you with that class. So um, one thing, extra thing I wanted to mention, and I feel like I need to do this more often, but I don't, um, is what we're doing in children's church. I just wanted to... Um, I'm doing children's church this morning, and it struck me, um, for those of you who don't know, we do a, a, something called the Gospel Project, and it takes you through the entire Bible. And we've been doing it a little over a year now, and we are just now at the New Testament. And so um, it points to Jesus throughout the whole Old Testament, but today we start a six-week unit on the life of Jesus, and it, it goes all the way through Easter. And uh, I just wanted to mention to you, parents... Um, just a couple of things about what we're doing so that you know what your children are learning on Sunday mornings in children's church. So the big picture question, this, this unit, is what did Jesus do to save us? And the answer is Jesus lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and rose from the dead. And um, I just wanted you to know where we're at. So if you have been looking for a way to have gospel-centered conversations with your kids they're going to be learning it every Sunday morning for the next six weeks. It's going to be specifically on the life of Jesus. And every week you'll receive uh, this that has some family discussion starters for you to, to kind of initiate that conversation with your kids. And so I just wanted you to know where, where we're going to be so that if you've been trying to find a way to start those conversations, just know that we have resources available for that. And I know that many of you are having those conversations already. This isn't to degrade or anything. It's just to let you know that I'm excited about what we're, what we're teaching our kids on Sunday mornings, and I want you to know that there's resources available. And we're always here to help um, when it comes to family ministry 
um, within the home. So all that to say, Mr. Howard, if you'll come forward, he's going to read our call to worship this morning. Lenlock, how are you? Boy, that's a good-looking choir back there. <laughs> Mostly. 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 Hey, uh, Bryson, thank you for two good messages. He's, he's not even paying attention. Thank you, Bryson. There he is. Our uh, text this morning is John 1. And uh, if you want to turn with me, you probably know these verses. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The sermon today is more about grace, the gospel of God's grace. So verse 14 says, John 1.1, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. We could park there for a little while, couldn't we? We beheld his glory full of grace and truth. And I think Peter's going to get a correction in the sermon this morning. Uh, I got a correction this week, by the way. And I called whining and bleeding to the pastor. And guess what happened to me? Um, I survived. But we need the grace and the truth. And it says of our Savior that he was full of grace and truth. Verse 15 John the Baptist witnessed it, verse 16, from his fullness, <clears throat> we received grace upon grace, grace and more grace. And here's the punchline, verse 17, the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen. I love that. I love that. Pray with me, if you will. I'm going to pray a little chorus. Catherine knows this. So as we pray, change my heart, O oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God, may I be like you. You are the potter, I am the clay, mold me and make me. This is what I pray. Lord, teach us about the gospel of grace like we've never heard it before. In Jesus' name, amen.
you'll stand. Let's sing the solid rock together. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much um, just for allowing us to come into your house um, and gather in your name and worship this morning, God. Lord, there is um, no other name like the name of Jesus, God, no other name that saves, um, no other name that has showed such mercy, and no other name that allows us to show such grace, God. So, Lord, this morning may we be reminded um, that Christ is the solid rock upon which we stand, God, and and our hope can lie nowhere else, Lord. But Lord, remind us of that this morning so that we may go out and be gracious and merciful to others, God. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you. And we thank you for bringing Pastor Neil home safely. And we pray for our children um, as they're learning about the gospel this morning as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, as the children leave for Children's Church, Bryson is in the back uh, to take those there. The rest of us turn, please, to Galatians chapter 2. As Brother Howard has already so 
eloquently told us, our subject today is the good news of the gospel of God's grace. I could have stood more of that, Howard. That was really, really helpful from John chapter 1. So, in Galatians chapter 2, I'm actually going to read verse 9, which is one of the verses Bryson read last week. Just to kind of bridge from 9 through the end of the chapter where we will go. And my hope and prayer is that along the way, as I preach this message today, I'm going to share with you some information and illustration and thoughts about our trip to Nicaragua. Now, one of the woeful things about education in America, they tell me, is our lack of understanding of geography. So we're in the airport in Miami, and we're telling this young lady from New York where we've been. And uh, I said, well, we flew from Managua to Miami. She says, where is Managua? I says, well, that's in Nicaragua. She says, where is Nicaragua? (laughs) And I thought, oh, boy, you know. And then a couple of Sundays ago, we were, um, this is the Sunday before we left. I got back to my truck after church was over, and on my windshield, under the wiper, was a little handwritten note that said, praying for you and your mission trip to Guatemala. <laughs> and I said, we're not doing something right in there. <laughs> and I immediately noticed that it was Howard's handwriting. So that's what you get for busting on my choir. Did y'all catch that? Don't do that, Howard. No, I love Howard and so grateful for the grace that God has shown to him and to me. But to clarify, Nicaragua is in Central America and it is north of Guatemala, I think. I don't know. I know where Nicaragua is. Is that right, James? So let me say in advance that James and Terry were with me, and I was so grateful for them. They've gone more than me, and we just had a fantastic experience. You know, it's really good for the soul. It's really good for the soul to get away, maybe even internationally, and get out of your own routine, out of your own self, out of your agenda where you're totally surrendered to the agenda of someone else. You get to meet new people from different cultures and different places who love Jesus. Um, you, you, you have your eyes open to the blessings that we enjoy here that we're blind to. You also get your eyes open to uh, the needs and the blessings that other places have. And it's just so encouraging and enriching just for one week to be just immersed uh, by what God is doing in Nicaragua. And God is doing a great work uh, through Ronnie Hopkins and his very, man, they are kind and genuine, t- um, uh, Jerry and uh, Harry, who led us all week long as our interpreters, are just incredible young men. And it was helpful for me to be around them. So, I'll go ahead and give you a a warning up front. It is dangerous to come to church on the Sunday after a pastor goes on a mission trip. (laughs) Because not only did he miss miss a week preaching, but he learned all this stuff. So I've I've got so many thoughts and ideas in my mind. I think I'm going to slow down and maybe for the next two weeks illustrate 
some of the points with some of the things that, that God taught me and James and Terry while we were in Nicaragua. Our goal was to have uh, some pictures going, but we couldn't pull that off yet. So uh, maybe some pictures will be up next week. But I, I am going to preach this text. So let's begin with Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, and let's notice how important the gospel is and how the the essence of the gospel is God's grace and how important it is to keep the gospel purified and defended and loved. Look at verse 9, and Bryson preached this last week. Uh, Paul is saying, and, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me and to James and Cephas and John, these are the early pillars of the church. And so they were meeting and having conversations about the gospel and what the gospel meant and how they were going to go out and share the gospel. So they all recognized this is about grace, grace to us. But in its beginning, the church had a lot to sort out. So uh, those who were reputed, I'm in verse 9 still, those who were reputed to be pillars gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we might go to the Gentiles, and they're going to go to the circumcised. So one of the tense uh, subjects to work through for the early church were, how are you going to be a Christian when once you were a Jew or once you were a Gentile? Is there one way to become a Christian and to be in the kingdom? Or are there different ways based on maybe what your cultural background is, what your historical traditions and customs have been? So that took some time to work out. So we're kind of catching some of this in the New Testament on how they sorted that out. So verse 10, they only asked us to remember the poor. The very thing I was also eager to do. So they came together around the fact that, well, if the gospel means anything to any of us, it means you go to the poor. Now, I'm toying with the idea of preaching a topical subject sermon next week on just remembering the poor. But you got to come next week to see what happens. Verse 11. But, dun-dun-dun, okay... If I had background music here, all is not well because there is a confrontation, as Howard mentioned. There's, there's, there's someone in need of correction, and of all people, it's Peter. So how dare Paul correct Peter? But he's willing to do this for the sake of the gospel. So look at verse 11. But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, so he's going to rehash this Antioch confrontation, ultimately to make a point about the gospel to the Gentiles and to us. But why are you talking about Antioch so long ago? Because they were clarifying the gospel and, and how it applied. So Cephas came to Antioch, and Paul says, I opposed him to his face. Now, what would inspire you to get in someone's face? That's for you to answer. But what inspired Paul to confront Peter was the nature of the gospel. Paul says he stood condemned. 
For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. They were enjoying table fellowship together. And one of the things we really enjoyed in Nicaragua was the table fellowship that we had together with uh, Harry and Jerry and Ronnie and others. I I really enjoyed that. I know y'all did too. We ate a lot. (laughs) We ate a lot of different foods, a lot of new foods. We had to be careful with what we ate. But table fellowship's important. And if they were observing table fellowship, including communion, which we think they probably were, Man, that just heightens the level of importance here because we're not only talking about fellowship, we're talking about Christian community and worship. Belonging. So Peter began to eat with the Gentiles because they're brothers and sisters in Christ too, right? But then when they came, this group of people who for whatever reason intimidated Peter, maybe they were Judaizers who were, you know, had a little little bully in them. Uh, Strong arm tactics. So they came down. And so then Peter began to withdraw and hold himself aloof. And he feared, quote, the party of the circumcision. And then not only that, but the rest of the Jews joined him in this hypocrisy, this charade. With the result that even Barnabas, not Barnabas, you mean Paul's right-hand guy? It must have broken Paul's heart. Yeah, even Barnabas. And he was swept away. He was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not, quote, straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, Cephas, in the the presence of all these people, we can imagine, Peter, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that now you're compelling the Gentiles to live like Jews? Interesting, isn't it? That's the correction. I mean, that's the confrontation. Now, in verses 15 through 21, I think he gets into the truth that corrects Peter and corrects me and corrects you and corrects the Galatians on on really what the gospel is. And then once we understand it, what it what it is, we, we, we will be more apt to put it into practice and apply it correctly. And walk according to it correctly. So let's pick up with verse 15. He says to Peter and also to the Galatians. Hey, we we are Jews by nature and not, quote, sinners from among the Gentiles. We know the Gentiles are sinful dogs, okay? That's what they said. Those were their prejudices about the Gentiles. So you got historical generational prejudice going on here. But hang on. Nevertheless, verse 16, knowing that, listen, a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Then he says, even we, 
Peter, you and I, Jews that we were, good practicing, law-abiding Jews, so we thought. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since Here it is. Here's the statement. Since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. No flesh. That is categorically broad and inclusive of all of humanity. No matter who you are, where you're from, or what you got. Your flesh cannot be justified by anything but the blood of Jesus Christ. That's true of you and me. And it was true of both Peter and Paul and all the Jews and Gentiles that that they're talking to. So he's correcting him with some of the most important truths about Christianity and what it really is and what it really means. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, look at verse 17... If while seeking to be just, now that assumes that people are, are seeking justification. And people may not admit that they're seeking justification religiously, but everybody, listen to this, everybody wants to be right. Why is there so much arguing and fussing and fighting and competition? Because in your heart of hearts, man, you want to be right. I'll say more about that. But if while we're seeking to be justified, declared to be right in Christ, and then we discover that we are sinners, does that then make Christ a minister of sin? I'm in verse 17. May it never be. For if I rebuild what I've once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law... I died to the law. The law killed him. It slayed him. His ego, his pride, his religious morality. Man, he says, I had to die to all that, right? I had to die to all that. So that I could live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I'm still in the flesh. we still got this body. You better take care of it. You're going to be in it your whole life, right? I threw that out there and lost my place. I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who, listen to this, y'all. He loved me. And he delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. If righteousness comes through the law, or rule keeping, or self-improvement, or human achievement, we could add all that to this. Then Christ died needlessly. What a disaster. That the most important event in human history would be counted to be an absolute waste. That's what he's saying. Father, help us to grasp the gospel and apply the gospel. And for that, I certainly need your grace. And since we are all sinful humans still in the flesh, we also need your grace. So that we could live to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
All right, that was kind of a lengthy preaching as I introduced our topic today. Um, so first in verses 11 14, man, what a confrontation. Peter versus Paul? I mean, that's right up there with Ali Frazier, if you want to date some of us. Or I guess you could say Georgia, Alabama, man. These are the two heavyweights. <laughs> Peter and Paul. Paul, why are you so worked up that you would publicly call out Peter in Antioch? Well, Peter was still an unfinished work. Peter could sing like the rest of us. He's still working on me, you know, to make me what I ought to be. Um, here's the issue with what was happening, and I kind of painted a bit of the picture earlier. But Peter was not walking according to the gospel. Peter believed the gospel. He would preach the gospel, but at this moment in his life, he wasn't lining up his life with the gospel and its implications. And this was so important because what was at stake was how people enter into the kingdom. And Christ has already purchased entry into the kingdom and justification through the cross. So whether Jew or Gentile, male or female, black or white, wherever you're from, that we all enter the kingdom freely by God's grace through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his powerful resurrection. And we might say to that, well, what's the big deal? Well, the Judaizers were still wanting to police and control the gate to the kingdom because they were so hung up on their rules and regulations that initially they said, well, yeah, Gentiles can come into the kingdom, but they've got some Jewish rules and regulations like circumcision and table fellowship that we need to go through because we don't think that they should all get in freely by God's grace. I mean, look at all the trouble we've gone to. So I tried to think of an illustration, and I may have one, I don't know. But travel is a hassle, isn't it? Especially since 9-11. And international travel is an especial, especially a, ha- a hassle. So James and Terry and I felt like in Atlanta, in Miami, in Managua. I mean, every time you turn around, somebody's asking for your passport. And you got to get in this line. You got to get in that line. And then can we see your ID? And, do you got, and so I'm constantly checking my pockets. Do I have everything, you know? And it's hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. And at the security checkpoint, they got all these extra rules and regulations that mostly are necessary for our protection. But let's just say, if you can imagine all the hustle and bustle and hassle of of going through customs and going through security and the FAA and all the the airport, the police, the, the drug dogs sniffing everybody. Imagine all that chaos. And imagine somebody came and said, I'll tell you what we'll do. Somebody has already pre-approved and pre-cleared all of y'all to board freely without any of these rules or regulations. You're not even going to have to pay for your extra baggage. (laughs) 
And then all of us got excited. <laughs> Man, we're on our go. But then suppose that the FAA sent a special team of mean-looking guys to come in there and say, Hold up, everybody. <laughs> the Jewish people are going to get to go on for free, but all of you Gentiles, you got to get over in this line and take your shoes off and your belt off. And if you've got a laptop or a device, you got to put it in this little cubby. We would be furious. Wait a second, didn't they announce earlier that some guy pre-approved and cleared all of us, no matter what we had or what we've done, just to get on the plane and go? And you're sending us back for these extra rules and regulations that we used to have to follow? I don't know if that illustrates it well or not. But man, Jesus paid it all. And he's forgiven it all. How offensive to Paul seeing all that he had gone through personally wrestling with righteousness and the gospel and the risen. I mean, Peter was changing the rules by allowing a group of people to influence him to alter entry, not onto a plane, but into a right relationship with God. All of us come to God the same way, and that's through the cross of Christ without any added morality or rules or regulations. So here comes security and customs down from Jerusalem. And Peter's been eating with those dirty Gentile sinners again. Same thing the Pharisees got so angry with Jesus about. He's having table fellowship with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. That's unclean. And so they come down from Jerusalem and Peter, the rock, begins to wave. Now, I'll be honest with you, as I work through this in my study... Let's, let's, let's see the, the wording that Paul uses in Peter's digression. And I want you to see if some of these words feel familiar to you as a person, as a Christian, as a human being. Because they began, it began to dawn on me, Neil, don't you be too hard on Peter. Because if you're honest with yourself, you got a lot of this in you. Look at this. He began to withdraw he began to pull back something that God had already convicted him on God had already given him a vision that he should call no man unclean in Acts 10 and 11 so Peter had this conviction but because of here it is peer pressure and influence and other people, he took his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink again. Like when the storm came. And he starts to withdraw from his earlier conviction. And then he starts to hold himself aloof. 
does that mean? Well, I've started to distance myself from people. Maybe people make me uncomfortable. Maybe the fact that the Gentiles were considered unclean, maybe that's rubbed off on me a little bit emotionally or spiritually, and, and I start to feel myself to be a little bit separate, a little bit distant from the rest of the hoi polloi. So he withdraws. I sense some pride in what Paul's saying. He holds himself aloof. Ah, but look at this one. He feared the party of the circumcision. Man, that's nothing other than good old-fashioned peer pressure. You felt it at school. You feel it at work. And I don't care what your age. I don't care where you are in life. Peer pressure is a real thing for us. And let's be forewarned, the fear of man is a trap and a snare. I don't know the direct quote from Proverbs, but it's there. He started to be afraid of another party, another group. Man, we see this going on in society, don't we? Adjusting our convictions that we've already held because of the the mob mentality and other people. Happened with Peter. That's both encouraging and convicting, isn't it? And then it gets worse. Paul says this is nothing other than pure old-fashioned hypocrisy. This word means to be inconsistent. It means to be two-faced. It means to, be, to become an actor. It was used of actors in a play who would wear a mask and they would pretend to be one thing while being another. Peter, you're, you're being pretentious. You're being fake. You're being hypocritical. You've withdrawn. You've held yourself aloof. You're fearing this other group of people. You've become inconsistent. And then you just not only have you been swept away by the current... But you've taken other people with you, even Barnabas. Even Barnabas. So what this charade was, was just, Paul tells them, you're walking crooked. (laughs) You're staggerly. I mean, you can't even hold your, you're walking off to the left. You're walking off to the right. You are taking an exit into a dangerous neighborhood. And that's why he offers the corrections that we have in verses 15 through 21. The whole point here is that you and I need to know and realize and apply the truth of the gospel to every aspect of our lives. Especially how we relate to other people and especially how we relate to pressure from the outside to not, do not let this world squeeze you Into its mold, says the J.B. Phillips translation in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Don't let it happen. But here we have someone like Peter who yet again takes his eyes off Jesus. And a pillar and the leader in the church has experienced what you and I experience on a regular basis. So here's what I'm saying. Like in the New Testament and in Christianity, there's something encouraging about the very fact that those who led it understand and understood what it means 
to sin and get off track and be corrected and return. Even Peter. Now, how many times have we looked at Peter's life and been encouraged by the fact that God was gracious with him the whole time? Because not only did he take his eyes off of Jesus and start to sink, and good thing Christ pulled him up. And then what did he do? Out of fear and out of pressure, from the outside in the most crucial moment of Jesus' ministry and life, what did Peter do? He denied Jesus three times. But what did Jesus do in response? Grace, grace. And then he took his eyes off Jesus again. In John chapter 21, as Jesus is restoring him and saying, If you love me, feed my sheep. I love you, Lord. Peter still, remember this, he looked at he says, Well, what are you going to do with that guy? (laughs) He got his eyes off Jesus and started looking at other people. And Jesus said, You let me run the universe and the kingdom, you Follow me. And here's what we have again. He's taken his eyes off Jesus and the gospel and the price Jesus paid for all people to fellowship together around the common bread and the common cup and the common blood. And and, and Peter's gotten way off track. He takes his eyes off Jesus. Well, I want to close, I guess. Uh, man, that sounds exciting. <laughs> I want to share with you how God dealt with me on the way down there in a personal issue uh, on our way to Nicaragua. So I guess I am going to share a lot more next week because I got a, I got a lot of more. So one of the tasks that we had, the, the, the day we landed, Monday afternoon... Terry and James and I were told ahead of time, you're going to go to this pastor's seminary and you're going to teach 80 pastors. Neil, you're going to preach for an hour and Terry's going to preach for an hour. Then you're going to preach for another hour and Terry's going to preach for another hour. You're going to preach two different groups, the same subject for two hours, for an hour each. They had given me, my topics were evangelism, and Christian identity. And I thought, evangelism? Uh, man, God gave me my weak spot, <laughs> all right? Because I enjoy standing up here and proclaiming the gospel to all of you. Ah, uh, not so good one-on-one or one-on-a-few outside of my comfort zone, which is The safety of the pulpit and the congregation which knows you and loves you. But what are we called to do? We're called to go and preach the gospel to those who don't know him. So on my way down, I remembered that a guy named Greg Laurie, who that name may sound familiar to some of you because he has a role in the Jesus Revolution and a lot that went on in the movement to follow Christ on the West Coast in California. He's a guy that I trust and kind of can relate to because he's so honest and so transparent. So on the flight down there, I said to myself, I'm going to read Greg Laurie's Tell Someone. So I started reading Greg Laurie's Tell Someone, and it says, you can share the good news. 
I thought, okay, that's me. I can share the good news. So I start reading it from Atlanta to Miami, then in Miami we go through the hassle of all that that is, and we get on a plane to Managua. It's a little bit longer uh, flight from Miami to Managua. And so Terry's on one side, there's a guy between us, and then there's me at the window. And so the guy in the middle, I, I mean, I start to kind of, you know how you pay attention to the person beside you just to see if there's anything to be afraid of or worried about? Or, <laughs> or maybe there's some kind of connection, who knows? I can tell based on how he's speaking with others. No, actually on that flight, Terry's sitting in, in front of us, so my, my bad on that. He's talking to a lady beside him, and he's, he's obviously Hispanic, and he knows Spanish really well, but he also knows a little English. So I keep reading Laurie's book. <laughs> and man, as I work through this book, I feel God pressing to me, hey, big guy, preacher man, you're going to Nicaragua. And you're going to evangelize and tell them about evangelism. And you're going to share the good news. What about this guy right here beside you? Is he someone? Here's my point. I also have in the back of my mind almost always where I'm going on Sunday morning. And you would too if you preached every Sunday morning. You'd be thinking about it all week long. I guarantee you. I thought about Peter, how Peter wanted to withdraw, he wanted to blend in, he wanted to hold himself aloof over there by the window, safe from everybody else, right? Began to be a little bit afraid of the other people around him, but that's hypocritical, that's inconsistent. That's not being transparent and open about who I really am and what I really believe about the way the universe operates and about how much God loves every single person beside us. And I almost got swept away in my little book and myself that I just wanted to blend in and be like every other guy on the plane. But God just wouldn't let me do it. You pretend to be a pastor who loves Jesus and the gospel. Are you willing to break the ice? So he's watching the movie 42, which is about Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in baseball. And I had seen that movie. So I turned to him and I said, do you like baseball? No, not really. He said, <laughs> I was like, Darn, there you go, right? There's, all right, back to Greg Laurie's book. All right, I, I give up. No, we started having a conversation. And I let him know what we were going to do in Nicaragua. I found out about his life in Miami, and he's from Nicaragua. In fact, he was from one of the towns that we traveled through. So it helped that I'd been to Nicaragua and kind of knew a little bit about it. And so he's working with his dad in Miami, and we're going to Nicaragua, and we're going to teach pastors and share with pastors and so forth and so on. 
And so eventually, I where's my card? So a while back, I had some cards made that I thought would help me beyond this withdrawing and fear and aloofness and not just not wanting to deal with and blend in and hypo- hypocrisy and so forth, play out, and all this crooked walking according to the gospel. So I literally had to make myself a card that had the gospel on it. And it's got the cross of Christ in the middle. Some of you saw that I shared this with you. On, on one side is the wages of sin is death. The cross is in the middle. He's the bridge to God. And the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. On the other side is my useless personal information relative to the gospel. So as I talked to Jefferson, Jefferson Joaquin, what's his name? Uh, um, I pulled out my card. And as I share with him about what we were doing, I said, you know, Jefferson, I want to give you my card. I said, Jefferson, this is the gospel. He seemed very intrigued and very interested. He says, uh, what does gospel mean? Yeah. I said it means good news, that God loves you. And I said in the middle is the cross of Jesus. He died for you and he rose from the, And he, he's a bridge to all of us to God. And if you'll believe in him and trust in him, he'll be that bridge. Now, I didn't press any further. And I didn't, you know, lead him right there in that middle row of that plane in what we would call a prayer of salvation. But I told him that, and then he took this card and put it in his phone. He was very well skilled in phone usage, by the way. And he turned the gospel out with his clear phone protector where he, he could see the, that, that card when we left, was still in his phone, and I should have brought my phone to demonstrate, but you, you get the picture. And then I says, uh, are you on social media? Because I was trying to, you know, continue this on. He said, yeah. I says, well, I may, when we land and I get service, I'll try to add you. I, I, I tried to add him. There are 2,000 Jefferson Joaquins <laughs> in Central America. But I did get his cell phone number. And I told him, I says, look, if Terry and James abandon me, and if I get separated from my team, you're the only number I've got in Nicaragua, and I'm calling you, okay? He said, that sounds good. That sounds good. So when we got back here, just on a whim, I texted that number. And I was 50-50. I'm like, yeah, you're not going to. You're not going to hear back from him. But I did. And he left me on hold for, you know, a few minutes. And, but eventually a text came through. And I had just told him that we arrived safely. We had a great trip. It was a joy to meet you. And he responded that, you know, if you're ever in Miami, which I am all the time, right? Or Nicaragua. He says, call me. Now, it's between him and God, what he does with that good news. And I hope and pray 
that in other ways he'll be exposed to the good news. What we don't know about Peter's condemnation, which Paul mentions in verse 11, when it says he stood condemned, what we don't know, was he condemned in his conscience? Or was he condemned from the outside by others who were correcting him? And my hint that is knowing Peter and his honesty and his transparency that he probably got both. We know he got one of them because Paul gave it to him. So I don't know. It's in the hands of God. But at least my conscience (laughs) was no longer condemned. Because I felt yet again in my life, I could give you other examples. Uh, I'm starting to withdraw. I'm starting to hold myself aloof. I'm starting to be afraid of other people. I'm even beginning to be hypocritical. I'm not lining my life up with the most important thing that has ever happened in the universe which is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross and the resurrection, I'm starting to take an exit into a really bad place. Correct me and set me on a path that would not only know the gospel, but share it with my life and my words. Because a city that's on a hill, listen... A city set on a hill cannot hide itself. And if you are a believer, then you are, by definition, a massive mega city set on a hill overlooking the world. And you and I are called not to hide, not to blend in, not to withdraw, not to be aloof. You're called to let the light and the love of the gospel shine. And when you do that, you realize that the road and the journey of the gospel is so much better than withdrawing into that horrible neighborhood which is wrapped up in me. Me. And I knew a guy who said, man, my mind is like a bad neighborhood. He says, I never want to go in there by myself. Yeah, and if you're honest with yourself, you're that same person. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for the good news of the gospel. And we never even really got into the truths of the gospel that service correction, Lord willing, will... We'll have more next week. I just thank you for our church and the privilege, I'm going to call it a luxury, of being able to even go on a mission trip. Just to know you and have friends like James and Terry, Ronnie, Harry. You got your people all over the world. And we are clueless, Father. 
is how amazing your grace is in other places. So I thank you for a church that cares enough to send us. And I thank you for the joy of coming back home. But I really pray for us all to understand the gospel and then to apply it and to instead of holding ourselves fearfully withdrawn, afraid, and aloof, that we would actually engage people and love people because you've told us to go, to go, and share our light. Thank you, Father, for that luxury and that privilege of knowing you in the gospel. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, let's stand and sing. Here's our vision right here. You come as we sing. If you have a prayer need, if you want to make a profession of faith, if you want to be baptized, if you want to join this church, the reason we stand here every Sunday is to receive those kinds of decisions or pray about those kinds of decisions. You come as we sing. so much for being here this morning. Hey, one prayer request I give you as we leave. I'm not going to assume that everybody already knows that Hannah and Blaine Turner, you know, we were praying 
uh, for the little, little boy Elijah. Um, he passed, and we had a service yesterday, a graveside service for him uh, here at Glenlock. So I want everybody to continue to pray for Hannah Bledsoe Turner, Blaine Turner, and the, the passing of, of their little boy. So um, just continue to lift them up. And I guess changing gears for scheduling tonight, there'll be choir at 5, and then our other groups are all meeting at 6, so we'd love to have you come back and, and join us then. Um, I can't think of anything else we need to announce. If you still have a baby bottle at home, like oh, yeah. me, that you forgot to bring, Mr. Howard goes all the time, so he said we can bring him to the him. So if you saw that baby bottle, feel free to bring that next week, and Mr. Howard will see to it getting where it needs to be because um, that ministry is all the time. Let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Y'all have a great week.